Um, okay, great. So we're starting today and still in our series of, um, what's it called now? Still in our series, the general theme we've been looking at so far has been um, ambassadors for Christ or apostolic living, meaning the concept of the concept of representing Christ, right, in the world, the concept of um, revealing Jesus Christ to the world, okay? And that's been, that has been the general theme of our discussion for the past um, three weeks now, or, uh, two weeks, so this is the third week. So last week, we looked at the difference between character and charisma, basically, and the roles that they play in the, in the life of a believer. Okay, and then we explain all of that. So please, if you are not here last week, as always, do get the um, podcast, the session on our podcast, all right? Um, so today, what we were looking at is walking in love. And I think um, this is, a, no, 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 I think it is a very powerful, powerful conversation because more than more than a lot of Christians realize, the um, the measure of our Christian faith is determined by love. The quality of our Christian faith is determined by love. And if you remember when Jesus Christ said, um, when Jesus Christ gave the parable of the um, the parable of the sheep and goats, right? In that parable, Jesus Christ said to Jesus Christ basically said to the people that. Um, you know, the sheep were those who saw him and and ignored him and didn't pay attention to him. And the people said, how, how is that even possible that we would see you and not pay attention to you? And then Jesus Christ went for that to say that what you do to the least of my, my brethren, you do to me. Meaning that what, at the end of the day, a lot of our judgments will be based around the work of love. A lot of how our value will be assessed in heaven on the last day would be would be through our work of love. The measure of our, our Christian faith is actually love. Okay, and we're going to look at that um, today. So today's conversation is a very simple um, um, but powerful conversation. It is, I mean, it, most of the things we share today, you might already have known it. So like, um, like Apostle Peter, I'm here to put you in remembrance of the things you already know. Right, and also to stir up, stir up your hearts in that direction, because the way the word of God operates is that when you, when you, um, when you remind yourself of, of a truth, or when you just discover a truth, then you trigger the operations of that truth in your consciousness and in your life. All right, so I'm hoping that through this today's Bible study, I'm able to trigger again the conscious, consciousness of walking in love um, back in your hearts, and also to spur you up to good works. You know. The Bible says that um, in Ephesians, I think this is chapter chapter 2, verse 10, that we are God's workmanship created to do good works. All right. So um, what, what part of the, our purpose is doing good works? And that's part of the things that God created us for. All right. And so part, one dimension of this good work is, is working in love, is um, showing love to, to each other. All right. Um, okay, so let me not jump the gun. So we're going to start. Um, it's a very simple, you know, easygoing conversation, but I, I, I encourage you to please, um, you know, let it be in your consciousness and um, God will help us. So the first scripture I want us to read is John chapter 13, 
verses three verses 34 and 35. Please, if you are there, <clears throat> read for us John chapter 13, 13, verse 34 and 35. Please, anyone there, read for us. Anyone, anyone, John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. John chapter 13, yes, please. verse 34 to 35. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just, I have, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Oh, have I passed? That's five, right? Uh, yeah, that's five. Yes, that's five. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Okay. So um, this was around when Josh was preparing his disciples' mind for his departure. So um, at about this time, he began to have some, you know, deeper conversations. No, no, he began to hint, right, at this point that he was going to leave his disciples. And so he began to say things like, oh, I'm going to a place uh, where I go. You can't see me now, but you see me later. Where I'm going to, the world can't see me. I know he was putting it, he was, he was coding it, basically. But he made mention of something in this scripture that I, I want to point out. And he said that in this way, right? So he was basically telling them a new commandment I give to you. And this new commandment is that you should love one another. He now says, when you love one another... This is how people would know that you are my disciples. What this means, and I need to explain, is that before this moment, the way they knew that, um, they, that the, the disciples were Jesus' disciples was that they followed him. You know, they, they were usually around him. Um, they could spot them, you know, familiar faces around Jesus. But now a time was coming where Jesus wasn't going to be around them physically. And so Jesus Christ was telling them that, before now, the way people know, know that you are my disciples is when they see you with me and they probably have marked your faces. You are only, I mean, at the core of it, both of um, you are all 12 disciples, right? Um, at the, I mean, 12 core disciples. There were several other disciples that followed Jesus, but 12 disciples that remained with him, all right? Um, disciples that remained with him were 12. And so it was easy for people to know who the disciples of Jesus Christ were, Simply because they were 12, they could just mark the faces or they could look around Jesus and see who they, those that are closest to him. But the time was going to come where Jesus Christ was expecting many more disciples and he was not going to be there. So the option of, of knowing everybody by face was eliminated because there are going to be thousands and millions of such disciples. The second option of knowing um, who, Jesus, who were Jesus' disciples based on proximity was also eliminated because... Jesus Christ was not going to be there anymore. And so Jesus Christ said, there's one more thing. The way that the world will know that you are my disciple is when you love one another. Meaning that loving, each, loving one another wasn't, a common, wasn't a, a common philosophy outside of the disciples. All right. And um, also what that means is that it's loving and even to, to date, showing love for one another is something that that requires a supernatural provision, meaning it is not everyone that would have the capacity to show love, okay, to one another. And so Jesus said, this will be the distinguishing factor um, for you guys. The way the world will know 
that you are my disciples is when you love um, one another, all right? And that this brings me to the first thing I want to say that the ultimate proof of our discipleship, okay? The ultimate proof of, of us following Jesus Christ, right, is love for one another. Love for one another is the ultimate proof of us following Jesus Christ, right? Meaning that it is not the, by the number of miracles we do, okay? And why is that so? Because um, miracles is something the enemy can mimic. The enemy can counterfeit <clears throat> miracles, but the enemy cannot counterfeit love. If that's in its purest form, in its genuine sense, the enemy cannot counterfeit love. Um, 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 what else? What else? Think of anything that a believer could do is not the ultimate proof of, of discipleship. What really shows that we're God's um, disciples, right? Our God's ambassadors is that we love one another. So love is, is almost like having an ID card, right? And before you enter a building, they want to know who you are before they let you into a building. They want to know your identity. So the Bible is letting us know that love is that identity that reveals our association with Jesus Christ. And as we continue to love others, then the world continues to see Jesus in us. And they can tell that these people um, belong to Jesus or these people are disciples of Jesus. All right. So the ultimate proof of our discipleship, of our discipleship, sorry, is love towards one another. Okay. So read another scripture. First John chapter two, verse nine to eleven. First John chapter two, verse nine to eleven. Um, someone else should please help us read. First John chapter two. Verses 9 to 11. All right, anyone there? Okay, let me read it. So, First John chapter 2, verse 9, I'm reading from the King James Version. It says, He that say, says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even till now. You know, you know what that means is that imagine a believer that's that claims he's in the light, right? But then he he entertains hatred towards he towards the um, towards a fellow believer towards people. The Bible says that he's still in darkness even till now. You, you, you know, let me tell you the depth of this statement. Meaning that your your salvation is questionable if love is absent. That's exactly what the scripture is saying. That because you know why the Bible says that he has translated translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, right? And says, and that's the kingdom of light, right? So he has translated us from kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And yet the Bible says that if anybody claims he's in the light, but entertains hatred, harbors hatred towards his bro brother, that that person still remains in darkness. Um, let me read verse nine again. It says, um, he that says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. Meaning that even though the person is claiming to be a believer, but still entertains hatred towards his, his brethren, that the person is still in darkness even till now. That means the, the, the proof of our salvation is actually our love walk. That means what shows that we are born again is not that we speak in tongues, is not that we are filled with the Holy Ghost and we perform signs and miracles. The evidence, the proof, the ultimate proof of our salvation is that we walk in love. All right, and that's what this verse is saying. 
So verse 10, 1 John chapter 2, we're in verse 10 now. It says that he that loves his brother abides in the light. Meaning you continue, you, you show love to your brother, right? You, you walk in love. The Bible says that you abide in light. Okay? Um, and it says that there is no occasion of stumbling in him. It's a very powerful scripture, meaning that one of the reasons why people stumble is because they entertain, entertain hate, hatred or anger or animosity towards their bro brothers, right? And this is so practical in life because when, when anger becomes the motive, when anger becomes the motivation, then the person will eventually stumble in life. So anger leads the person to begin to do some funny things. Um, anger, anything aside love, anger, greed, hatred, strife, um, jealousy, whatever it is, that is the mot motivation, right? If, it, if anything else aside love becomes a person's motivation, then it is just a matter of time. The person will stumble in life. So you see, the reason why people, why people steal from others, the reason why people um, backbite, the reason why people dupe other people, right, is because they obviously they are not working in love. The motivation for their actions is not love. And if you, if you maintain a motivation that is not love for a while, then it is just a matter of time that you will stumble, all right? Just a matter of time, you will stumble, just a matter of time. So if you ask someone, um, I, I, if you see someone that, that goes to steal, for instance, ask the person, why did you steal? Oh, I wanted to make quick money. And um, obviously the person is not working in love. The person gets caught and then he stumbles in life, right? So what the Bible is saying here is that if he that loves his brother, verse 10, 1 John 2, verse 10, he that loves his brother abides in the light. So if your motivation is love, hmm, what the Bible says is that you'll always be in light. That means, I mean, one of the meanings is that you'll always be, be, be accurate and innocent. So if your motivation is love, um, let's say you are in a, let's say you are in, a, in an office setting, for instance, and then there are people that obviously don't like you, but yet you maintain your motivation to be love, right? No matter how much they scheme against you, love has a way of justifying your actions. You know what I mean? Love has a way of, of liberating you. Love has a way of vindicating you from accusation because you are walking in love, all right? So he says that if you love your brother, you, you remain in the light and then there's no occasion for stumbling. That means it's like, I don't know if you get the, the depth of this statement. That means there will be no reason why you ever stumble in life as long as your motivation is love. So if somebody says, for instance, oh, um, um, sees his friend buy a new a new car, for instance, right? And the person says, "Oh, my friend bought a new car. Uh, I can't be left alone, left left behind. Me too. I'm going to buy a new car." Obviously, his motivation in in that case is not love. His motivation is um, competition or jealousy or whatever it is, right? It's just a matter of time to get that car. The person may end up stealing or may end up in doing something that he shouldn't do on a normal day because his motivation is not, is not born out of love. But if your motivation is love, you will never, never stumble. And let me just say this, um, you know, in passing, that if you run a business and you, the, the motivation for your business is love, meaning the motivation for your business is to genuinely meet the needs of people, I tell you the truth, you will always remain in business because your motivation is love, all right? But if your motivation is just to make money, it's just a matter of time, um, competition will swallow you up. All right, so um, let's continue. I'm um, in verse 13 now. 
Okay, no, no, verse, sorry, let me take verse, verse 10 again, not 13, sorry, verse, verse 10. He that loveth his brother abides in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. Verse 11, but he that hates his brother is in darkness, and walks in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Let me read that again. He that hates his brother walks in darkness. Um, sorry, he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. And he knows not he knows not whither he goeth, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. So the person that does not walk from love, meaning the person that doesn't um, retain love as the motivation, is already in darkness. And the Bible says that he will stumble. Another translation says he will stumble or he does not even know where he's going to. Reason is because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, have you ever seen someone that is hell bent on the person is hell bent on attacking another person so much that the person's actions becomes illogical, but the person doesn't know that he's illogical simply because he's hell bent on attacking someone. You know, it's almost like let, let, Google, let me give a very, very practical example. So I'm currently reading. I mean, example from scriptures, that's what I mean. I'm currently reading um, the book of First, currently reading the book of First Samuel. And, you know, the story of Saul and David is quite an interesting one. And you know, after David, after David um, you know, killed Goliath, they sang his praises, Saul became jealous, and Saul began to hate David and began to pursue David. So David had to run for his life. And then he got to a point where Saul did not that his actions were illogical, but he insisted on still pursuing David nonetheless. And from, from time to time, though, he would, he would get intel that, oh, David has moved to a particular city or he's hiding in the, in the mountains or in a particular cave. And the Bible says Saul mobilized 3,000 of his best men just to chase David and David's men. Now, by all standards, Saul was greater than David at that time. Saul was the king Saul had a, a full a full army at his disposal. He had everything. I mean, he had a, a country to run, but Saul would leave the country and his assignment and his full-time job just to pursue David. At that point, the blind, he was already blindness, um, rather blinded because he was walking in darkness, meaning the hatred he had towards David had already blinded him to, to not to see that he's, what he's doing is illogical. So that's what the Bible is talking about. If I go to a point where David, you know, after David cut his um, cut the head of his garment, and um, he told and he called out to Saul and said to Saul, "Saul, who am I that you are chasing me? I am just a if I come to David's words, I am just a fly. Why are you chasing me? You can literally extinguish me with one blow. But what have I done to you that you are exerting so much resources to chase me? You know, and that was the case because Saul was blinded by anger. He was blinded by by I wouldn't even call it revenge. He was blinded by anger and jealousy because he knew that David was going to become the king. So this is what verse, verse 11 is talking about, that if you walk in darkness, if somebody walks in, in, in hatred, rather, the person remains in darkness, and the darkness will blind him so that he will not even know where he's going. He will not know what he's doing. And it is such a, it's, it's, it eats into people's hearts. Have you ever seen someone that keeps malice has kept malice for, for a long time. You know, there are people that keep malice as though it is a, it's their money they are keeping in savings accounts. You cannot touch my malice. My malice is 85%. You can't touch it. You know, and they keep it so with so much, with so much 
pride that you wonder what the malice is doing to them. And it gets to a point where they don't even know they are, they are, they are deeply illogical and they've lost the way. So that if the person they are keeping malice with is holding the, the lifeline for them, they would not go and ask that person for help because they are, in their words, they are keeping malice. They can't talk to the person. Any motivation that is not that doesn't come from love, any motivation that is not love, will eventually blind the person that sustains that motivation for a while. All right. So our motivation must be love, and the proof again that we are believers is by our work, our love work, right, or by working in love. That is the ultimate proof that we are God's disciples and that we are believers. Praise God. All right. So we're going to read one more scripture for an introduction. And so I'm, I'm reading all of this to establish the, the importance and the, the groundwork for, um, for, our, for the concept of working in law. Because I think one of the things that a lot of believers, you know, because it is sought to, it, you know, working in love, see, working in love from a physical perspective is not heroic. Meaning when somebody walks in love, you hardly see people hail and say, ah, hero, you're a hero. No. If, for instance, if, if I, if I, let's say if a minister, for instance, comes to a, comes to a church and then he begins to preach and the power of God is all over the place, everybody will clap for that person and he'll be a hero in the eyes of people because the, of the external manifestations, right? But walking in love, though it is not heroic to the human eyes, it is heroic in the sight of God. So walking in love may not be heroic from a fiscal standpoint, all right, because the, the expressions of love are not usually public. In fact, what the Bible teaches is that when you give, don't let the left, your left hand know what the right hand is doing. When you help people, you don't need to broadcast it. You know, it says what you do in private is God that will reward you in open, so you don't need to talk about it. So the expressions of love are typically done in private, right? And because of that, there is no heroic approach towards it in, from a fiscal standpoint. However, one secret um, in the realm of the spirit is that the things only God see seems to carry more weight than the things everybody can see. And that is why love is so, is so valuable, valuable in the sight of God, because it is God that weighs the heart. It is God that sees the motives. It is only God that can truly tell you someone is walking in love, all right? And because it is only God that can see it, those things are valuable in the sight of God, and then God rewards it accordingly. All right, so let's still in the book of First John. Let's go to chapter chapter three. Um, it's going to be this reading is quite long, but I want us to take it gradually. First John chapter chapter three verse fourteen. If you are there, say uh huh uh huh. All right, First John chapter three verse fourteen. Um, I want us all of us to follow. So just give me. Give me a thumbs up if you are there, just so I know that we are following together. First John chapter 3, verse 14. Thumbs up from Faith. Okay, anyone else there? Thumbs up from Idara. Thank you. Oh, and by the way, um, okay, thumbs up from Ayo. Thank you very much. So by the way, today, um, I know I know using slides. Apologies for that. Uh, I couldn't get slides ready in good time. So that's my, my bad. We'll have slides up next week, all right? So 1 John chapter 3, verse, verse um, 14. We'll start from verse 14. He says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. You know, I, I, again, I keep emphasizing that this is, is such a 
a, a deep and powerful statement that the reason why you know you are born again is not because you, you pray in tongues the longest. It's not because you give the biggest offering. The reason you know you are born again, the proof that you are born again, is that you love your fellow brethren. And by, by fellow brethren, I mean I'm referring here to believers, right? And this is what Apostle John is saying, that how we know or how we show that we have passed from death to life is that we love the brethren. He says, um, he that loves he, love not his brother abides in death. That means hatred is death. Jealousy is death. Envy is death. Anything that is not, a, is not an offspring of love is death. All right? Verse 15 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. I mean, I mean, I mean, if God should, if, if you know, you know, I'm based on our own, our human judicial systems, a murderer is someone who has killed somebody. But Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew chapter five says, if you look at your brother, if you, if you, if you, I'm paraphrasing now, he says, if you, if you maintain, have anger towards your brother without a cause, if you keep malice or, or animosity towards your brother, that you murdered him. And that's what John here is saying again, that anybody that hates his brother is a murderer. So in the sight of God, hatred for your brother is as good as murder. Meaning if God was going to punish, if God punished Cain for killing Abel, then, I mean, look, follow me, then the person that hates his brother is is, is um, worthy of the same punishment that God gave to Cain because God considers you to be a murderer. All right? That means the, the, the um, expression of love is life-giving. Do you get? Is life-giving. Just the same way the expression of hatred is life-taking. Okay? That's murder. The expression of love is life-giving. All right? And it says, verse 15, and you, you, you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, that means if you hate your brother, you are a murderer. And we know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In essence, if you hate your brother, that means you don't have eternal life abiding in you. What this means is that every believer is capable of love. Every believer is capable of loving. And I know, let, let me even give a disclaimer. I know that the, the commandment to love your brother, your brother, your brothers rather, your, your brethren in Christ is not... It is not a commandment that you can easily obey if you take into, into cognizance the behavior of the other person. So when God is saying we should love others, he's not, he knows it's going to be difficult because if you, if you look at the way some Christians be, behave, I promise you, you have every reason to even physically murder them, you get? But God is saying, no, you have to love, you have to love your brethren, all right? So because of that, and, and let, me just, let me just quote a scripture here before I continue reading because of that, Romans chapter um, chapter 5, verse 5 says, the love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he has given us. So God knows that working in love will be difficult to our human nature. So he had to give us an external supply of grace. And that is in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to love. All right. So back to where I'm reading. Verse 16, hereby we perceive the love of God because he, lays the, he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 17, but whoso, whoso had this world's good, and said his brother, rather, and said his brother have need, and shorted up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? 
meaning that if somebody has, when it says this world's good, meaning you have material things, you have money, you have provisions, you have fiscal things, and then your brethren is, your brother is in need or a fellow believer is in need and you shut your bowels of mercy, meaning you withhold those, the, that, that, those things from, from the person that is in need. The Bible now asks that, how then is, your, is the love of God in you? What this implies is that it's not enough, and we're going to see that now, it's not enough to say, I love you, or it's not enough to, it's not enough to say, oh, I love Christians, or you love someone. The, one of the, the evidences of love, right, is, is in our actions, is in what we do. Right, so our actions give testaments to our love. All right, so verse 18, he says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. Again, I, I would like to say here that from God's perspective, love is a verb, not a noun. From God's perspective, love is an action word, it's a doing word. That's why the Bible says, um, the common scripture we all know, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, it did not end there. If he said, for God so loved the world, and he ended there, then we would have just been, I mean, I would have been just trying to say, oh, well, I love my brother, I love my fellow believers, but not, not show it. But that verse didn't end there. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. So ultimately, love must translate into an action. What the action may be would, would be different, but love ultimately translates into an, an action. And why this is important is because we are ambassadors of Christ, and that's the general theme we'll be focusing on for the, for the past couple of weeks. And as ambassador, ambassadors of Christ, we are called to represent Christ. The way the world would receive our message is when we demonstrate the love of God, all right? And love is not, again, like I said, love is not a noun. Love is not, is not, is not just a, a, a word. Love is an action. So when we say we love, we, we need to show that we love, right? And that this is what this verse is emphasizing. It's about emphasizing the action part of love. So let me read verse 18 again. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but let us love in deed. And in truth, verse 19, 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and, and shall assure our heart before him. Verse 24, if our hearts... If a heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. Beloved, if a heart condemn us not, then we have confidence. We have confidence toward God. Now, take note of verse twenty-two. It says, "And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight." So the Bible is saying that whatever we ask of God, we are going. We know. We know we are going to receive it, right? Because we do His commandments. And we, we do what is pleasing in his, in his sight, right? It's just like saying a child coming to, to his father and before, before the child goes to his father, he says, he says to his friend that I know I'm going to ask my father for a, a toy car and I know my father will give me a toy car. And the child says, how do you know the father will give me a toy car? Say, let me tell you, because I followed my, everything my father told me to do, I've done it. Meaning that, and, and you know, this scripture, so a lot of times believers I mean, I, I don't know why they think this way, but a lot of times believers, believers think that their actions don't play a role in receiving answers from God, all right? But this is what the Bible says, that he says, and whatever we ask, we receive of him. So you ask of God, right, in the name of Jesus, God gives you. And many times God doesn't even consider your, your, your actions before he gives to you. 
However, for you to receive, your actions play a significant role, right? So there are two things. There's giving and there's receiving. So for instance, I have um, I have a, so the case for my glass, I have it in my hand. If I say to you, take this case, I am giving you the case, right? So I'm playing my pattern in giving you the case. However, in response, you also have to receive the case from my hand. Else, the case will always be my hand, even though the case belongs to you. Or let's assume I'm giving it to you as a gift. Even though the case belongs to you, it will always remain in my hand. And it will never reach your hand if you do not stretch forth your hand to receive. So this is what the Bible is saying, that that receiving part is now dependent on our obeying God's command. The giving part may be a result of God's grace and generosity, not necessarily our, not necessarily our actions. However, the receiving part is now based on our actions. And again, verse, verse 22 says, we whatever we ask of him, or we, whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commands. So the reason why we, we, we receive is because we keep his commands. Good. So the question now is, what is his command that we should keep? And the answer to this question is in the next verse. Verse 23 says, and this is his commandment. Two things. He says, one, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Meaning that when it comes to receiving, we must acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. All right. We must recognize Jesus Christ as that authority, as the savior and as, as all of that. All right. So that's first thing, believing in the name of Jesus Christ. And then number two, it says, love one another as he gave us commandments. So the two criteria for receiving from God is number one, believing in Jesus. And if you ask, I mean, any believer, if they believe in Jesus, the typical answer will be yes. So that's perfect. Receiving from God, we believe in Jesus. Awesome. Number two criteria is loving one another. And based, remember, it is in the context of this same scripture that, that um, we read verse, verse, verse 17. Verse 17 that says, if your brother is in need or the believer is in need, and then you, you have the means to help the believer, and you refrain to do so, that how then do you have love? So when he says lo love the believer, think of it from an action perspective, not from a, from a declaration of statement to say, oh, I love believers. No. Think about it from an action perspective. What this means is that your expression of love would enable you to receive from God. Now, this is not to say, this is not a game. Say, oh God, if I give my, my, my if I give somebody need clothes, that means you give me um, the one million I'm looking for. No, this, but this is a spiritual principle that says when you show love, not, not just when you say love, but when you show love, all right, to fellow believers, that it positions you to receive from God. You get, yes, God will give you, your God will answer your prayer, whether you, 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 you show love or not. But for you to receive the answer to your prayer, then your love work comes into question. And this really shows how powerful, this really shows how powerful, right, working in love is. And it is super, super, super important that we do we, we realize this. Because a lot of times, the reason why Christians are not productive in their in their spiritual life is it may not, it's not necessarily that they don't read their Bibles or they don't pray or they don't, you know, do all the spiritual activities. It might be a particular area of love that God wants you to demonstrate. So God might be requiring you to forgive somebody and that you've been hesitating, hesitating. You are like, oh, this person hurts me so much. 
Can you imagine what he did? Can you imagine what she said? Can you imagine this and that? And God is saying to you, let's go of that. Show love to that person. You might not know, but from God's perspective, the thing you have been praying for, he knows that it will enter your hand if you do not show love. So God most times will not just show love so that that's what we are, we are trusting him for, um, what we are believing him for, we can have the capacity to receive. Because, think about this now. Um, I'm holding, I mean, this is a tiny remote in my hand. Um, if, if, if you are stretching out something to me and I need to receive it, if I keep holding on to this remote, I cannot receive what you are giving me because I am holding on to this remote. The moment I open my hands to receive from you, then the remote drops off and there's space for me to receive. So again, back to my illustration, it's not as if, so let's say in this case, you are the one giving to me now. It's not as if you are not giving to me. Yes, you are stretching forth your hand and you are giving to me. You are saying, take, take, this is what you want. This is what you prayed for. This is what you have been fasting for. Take it, right? You're giving to me. But my hand is holding on to something that will not give it room for me to receive. And this is why your love work is super, super important. Because working in love opens your hand so that you can receive from God. It frees up space in your life so that you can receive from God. So regardless of what, regardless of what um, the expression of love would be, working in love is super, super important. All right. So let me just read the last verse um, in this chapter, verse 24. First John chapter 3, verse 24, it says, And he that keeps his commandments dwells in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given unto us. So all I've been explaining so far is to, is to first of all, show us the foundation of love and also to show us how important God takes love, right? And I started by saying that God, the ultimate proof, proof of our discipleship is working in love. The ultimate proof that will be translated from the kingdom of darkness is working in love. The ultimate proof of, um, of, of what is it again? Our followership of Jesus Christ is love, all right? And then lastly, love positions us to receive from, from Christ, okay? Now, I want to move further to the next to a next step. You know, we've been, again, like I said, for past few weeks, right, we've been studying um, ambassadors of Christ, right? That's how we represent Christ in the world. And last week, we looked at character and charisma, Okay. And I just want to, in, in, in re with respect to that conversation we had last week, I want to, to show us how love plays a significant role. I mean, most of us will already know this. So like I said at the beginning of this um, you know, Bible study, that what I'm doing here is just to put you in remembrance. All right? To put you in remembrance of things that you already have known. And the purpose is to stir you up so that you can begin to walk in the practice of, of these things. Praise God. All right, so I, I, I want us to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. Please, if you are there, do us the favor of reading for us 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. Anyone there should please go ahead. Feel free. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to, to 3. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I do not express myself with love, my words could be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than clanging timbers. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, 
and I possessed unending spiritual knowledge. And if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but have never learned to love, then I am nothing. Verse 3. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be born as a martyr, without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Wow, praise God. Thank you very much for that um, faith. So, to give context to why Paul began to speak in this way, um, we need to know that um, from chapter 12, Paul began to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the operations of the Spirit, the administrations of the Spirit, and all the, all the spectacular dimensions and expressions of the Holy Ghost, right? And then he also continues in that line in chapter 14. Okay, so chapter 12, chapter 14 talks about all the spectacular dimensions of the Holy Ghost, right? The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the workings of the Spirit, the administrations of the Spirit, and all of that. But in chapter 13, Paul, it was almost like he, he needed to pause and explain something. And so verse 1 to 3 is a very powerful explanation to, to a lot of things that we express. And so Paul says that even though I speak in the tongues of men and the tongues of angels, I mean, meaning that you, you can speak in tongues so much that you, you are so fluent and eloquent in heavenly language, right? But he says, if I do not have love, or as, as Habashan puts it, if I don't express it in love, then I am be I become like a crashing simba. You know what this means is that, and I'll just, you know, I'm going ahead of myself, but let me say it now. What this means is that your, the, the expressions of your spiritual gifts will not have any value if they are not motivated by love or if they are not, if they are not um, anchored by love. And verse 2 says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, I understand all mysteries and knowledge and, and have faith on all of that, and I could faith that could move mountains and yet not have love, then he says I'm nothing. You know, if somebody comes and says, wow, I prayed, I prayed for a, a let me say, let me say, I prayed for a blind man and the blind man, man blind man, sorry, the blind, oh, help me, English. The blind man's eyes open, um, got opened. Then the person, we will say to the person, wow, you are such a powerful man. And that person comes and says, I pray for the lame person. And the person, he didn't only start walking, but he immediately ran 100 kilometers and he, he came first. And you'll be, like, you'll be like, wow, you are such a powerful man of God. But let me tell you, from God's perspective, if the expression of those gifts wasn't born out of love, then the Bible says that you are, you are, he considers you to be nothing. And this honestly gives us a perspective to how God views things. So God, God views things on earth through the lens of love. So if God takes the lens of love and views your activity, and he doesn't see love in what you do, then your activities no longer have any value. All right? And, and that is why love, love is the greatest. And, and I mean, we, we see that in the last verse of this chapter, right? That love is the greatest because all our actions all our miraculous gifts, all our kindness. And verse, verse 3 says, if you bestow, if I bestow all my goods to, the, to feed the poor, meaning I just imagine, you know, let's be very practical. Imagine, imagine someone like Otedola, right? So if you're in Nigeria or you're in Nigeria, you most likely will know who Otedola is. Um, or imagine someone like Elon Musk and he gives all he has to the poor. He sells every, all he shares in Tesla shares, sells everything and gives to the poor, says he's giving charity. 
In fact, the person now goes further to say, in fact, these people in one, let's say, in one part of Nigeria, they are suffering so much. I'm going to go and die for them so that their suffering will end. And the Bible says that if you do not have love, all you've done is in vain. So this brings me to the statement I want to make now. Very simple statement, but very powerful. That love is the love is what gives value to our works and sacrifices. Yes, it is awesome to sacrifice, right? It's awesome to make sacrifices for God or, or, or for people. But if your motivation is not love, then God doesn't value that sacrifice. So the value of your sacrifice, the value of your actions, the value of your spiritual gifts and, and everything is determined by love. All right. And, and you know why this is so important to emphasize now? It's so that on the last day, we will not go to heaven. And when we see our report card, all right, we see our scorecard, we, we see a report that falls below our expectation. And then we begin to wonder, why are we falling, um, falling so short? And then God now then reveals to us that, I know you gave all your salary last month, but it wasn't born out of love. It was born out of a need to prove that you have money or it was born out of a need of something, something that wasn't love, okay? And so what gives value to our, our gifts and sacrifices is love, all right? Um, so I said here that just as an illustration, Love is the operating system that should power the that should power the expressions of our gifts and charismatic demonstrations. Okay, so just as you have, just like you have an operating system. So, for instance, you have your Android or you have your iOS. Okay, these are operating systems that allows other apps to you know run on them that allows you to perform certain actions because of the operating system. That is the same way love should be. Love should be the operating system that houses other expressions of our lives. For instance, on your phone, you have, you probably have a music player. On your phone, you have, I mean, you have the camera app that can take pictures. You have, um, what else? You have an app to probably take notes or to record or whatever it is. All those various expressions are possible within the framework of love, within the, within the framework, rather, of the operating system. So it is the same way love should be to us, right? That love should be... <clears throat> should be the operating system that powers the expressions of our life in general, to be honest, our lives um, in general, okay? All right, so I want to jump quickly to something that, to an expression of love that is super, super important, okay? And what I want to talk about is forgiveness, all right? So this is the part where I'm going to ask us to, you know, we're going to have a conversation together now. But I want us to talk about forgiveness as an expression of love. So first of all, let me be sure I'm not alone. Who has ever had the need to forgive someone that was extremely difficult? If you have ever been in that position, please just give me a thumbs up or you know, raise your hand or something. If you have ever had to forgive someone or if you've ever had to, if you've ever been in a position that you need to forgive somebody and it was not the easiest thing to do. Okay, I can see your hand, um, um, Toby Loba. Um, I can see your hand. Oh, everybody's hand is up. Okay, okay, so let me, let me let, before we proceed, right, let me ask us, um, how did you handle it? Anyone wants to share briefly how you handled, you know, that situation where you had to forgive somebody but it was not the easiest thing. So how did you handle it? 
Um, anyone wants to help us? Okay. Hi, everyone. Hi. Good evening. Good evening. Um, Tell us. Recently, barely two weeks now. All right. I had an issue with someone recently, uh, not recently, though, about for about six months. I had not had any kind of um, conversation or communication with the person. And he hurt me badly. You know, he said some things that were, I can't even begin to say them here. Someone that is quite close. And, you know, in my heart, I had forgiven the person, I had moved on, but I just refused to communicate with the person. So recently, I was at, I was at a program at, it was at Church Covenant, Mm -hmm. uh, during um, the last um, daddy and his daughter's um, worship um, program. And the first thing the Holy Spirit told me while there was, yes, you are right. Yes, you, you're forgiven. But I need you to talk to that person. You know, and in my spirit, I had forgiven the person. I had moved on. Had, but I just didn't want to communicate with that person. But the Holy Spirit told me, said, you think you have forgiven, but you have truly not forgiven. And at that moment, I realized that the simple, for the simple fact that he told me to talk to the person, and I felt very angry at that moment, just confirmed the fact that I had not truly forgiven the person. Yeah. I broke down in tears. And, you know, I, said, I made a statement. I said, Lord, forgive me for assuming that I had forgiven this person and for sitting on my high horse as the spiritual in quotes person that I've moved on, I've, I've let it go, I've forgiven the person, but I had to ask for mercy at that moment and I asked for help because I knew that to pick up the phone and call the person on my own would be difficult. So I said, God, if you want me to bridge this gap, to communicate to this person, create an avenue for me to talk to this person. And honestly, that night, I mean, that same night, as soon as I got home, an opportunity presented itself. And I just said, hey, talk to me. Let's say hello to each other. And it was a person had been waiting for me to, you know, talk. And instantly the burden was lifted. It was an amazing feeling. And that was how it ended. I was able to move on, communicate with the person and truly forgive. Honestly, mm. it wasn't easy. <laughs> Praise <laughs> the Lord. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for that sharing. Um, yeah, I think we should take one more person. So how did you handle the time you were hurt and you needed to forgive, but it was difficult to forgive? Why, why I'm asking us to share is because, to be honest, we learn from each other's experience. Yes, we're going to look at the word of God, but um, it's very powerful. The, the testimony of someone is very powerful in, you know, bring, driving the message home. So please feel free to share your experience. Hi, everyone. Good evening. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think, well, recently too, I was really hurt, you know, by, you know, close family and all. And I started, I remember having a conversation with a friend and, you know, she referenced Abraham and Sarah. And, you know, the Bible says, looking to Abraham and, um, I mean, Abraham, your father, <clears throat> excuse me, and Sarah, your mother you know yeah. and she had to reference the fact that Abraham had his own fair share with Lot as well you know and it just showed how amazing God will still make people available for you and will not necessarily be family you know so I drew strength from that and I just went silent you know 
I went silent and I just blocked everyone off because I needed, you know, the sanity, the thinking through process at that time. And, you know, every other person, you know, my cousins, everyone called and they were like, oh, you are right on this, you know, but the blocking, you know, seemed like the way off, you know, and that was where I was at fault because every other thing I was right on, you know, and so at that moment, I just said, God, you have to help me through this. And for me, it was drawing strength from my silence and then, you know, um, communication with fellow friends that I've always, you know, studied with and all of that. So it just, and then of course, the Holy Spirit also helped me to know that some counsels were not applicable because it was obvious this person is giving feedback based on, <clears throat> excuse me, their own experience so they never really had the family experience and so they would naturally tell you you know shut up from everyone and all of that so but I knew where the ticking point is so okay you give me this advice and then I'll go back to the Holy Spirit say okay God you know this is it and all of that and you know further studying this afternoon it just you know reiterated the part where we all just really don't go back to the word immediately we just run off to people you know to share experiences and then when we look for the people that align with our thoughts we just run with it but then there's a stopping point to ask okay god what are you really saying about this so yeah i mean for me it was just withdrawing staying away for a bit you know and then uh, somewhere in my head i'm also thinking okay covid that covid has been happening you know people are passing you know so for how long do i want to keep on you know with that as well so that sort of cut me short you know in my attempt to you know stay longer and linger on which may also even cause more havoc you know so i had to retrace back at that point and i'm like okay i mean through of course joining the worship session i just you know had that release to forgive and then i moved on from it Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that too, Laura. All right, um, one last person, please, because it seems you are already, already sharing everything I would have shared. So let's hear one more person's testimony, one more person's experience. How did you handle a period where you were hurt and um, were you to forgive? Um, Eddie, Young, I said something and we can barely hear you. Uh, I'm not sure we can still hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, yeah, yeah, better now. We can hear you. Okay. So mine, I think mine is a different case. Why mine is a bit different was because it had to be a progressive one in the sense that I had to, I had to implement multiple out love actions of love rather before this forgiveness was complete so it was like in stages stage one say i'm sorry stage two give a gift stage three help out stage four so it was not a one time mm. oh i'm sorry it was multiple i had to keep on doing things so this person had hurt me by default and by several things, but I realized I'd carried this person in my heart for a while. And it was beginning to be a stumbling block in my work with God. And even, you know, with almost everything around me affecting my health, yeah. affecting me. So then I knew that this thing has to work. And I don't know how it was going to work because it felt like by default, there was not even anything to forgive. It was like, this person had already been placed in a position where it's as though you should have natural hatred for this person right mm -hmm. 
So I, and I realized that I had to implement multiple actions of love to um, finally relieve the person of my heart. So for example, the first stage would have been to say, um, call the person and say, I'm sorry for what I had done to you. Right, I had offended the person and the person had offended me both ways. It had gone both ways, but I felt like I had a right because of feeling like this person had done, but I didn't have a right. You know, two wrongs don't make a right, right? Yeah. So even after I had apologized to the person, I still realized I still had the person in my heart and I still had issues with my communication with this person. So I realized it had to be an ongoing process. So I couldn't let it end there. I still had to have multiple times where I call intentionally, where I check up on the person, where I gift the person, where I assist the person until it was, you know, until there was a release. You know, we as Christians, we even want to say things to unbelievers, we'll say until there's a release in our hearts that yes, it's now time. So sometimes I, I believe it's not just the I forgive you, you forgive me thing. Sometimes it takes a process. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. So, um, I mean, from my experiences, it's one of the clear points is that to forgive, right, you actually need the help of the Holy Spirit because the human nature is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Um, like they were saying in Nigeria, do me, I do you, God, no go vex. But that's, that's not scriptural, all right? And um, from all the experiences that we've shared now, it's clear that we need the help of the Holy Spirit, okay? And I just want to make, make some few points before I read the scriptures that I want us to read. You know, have you ever noticed that heart is deepest when it comes from people that are closest to you? Meaning that if, for instance, a stranger on the road, right, let's say just, let's assume you go to an eatery and you're on the queue trying to get food and somebody looks at you and tells, says something really nasty to you. I mean, you just shrug, the, shrug, um, shrug it off, rather. I'm not really bothered about what the person says. It doesn't have as much impact on your heart. Or at the best, if you decide to respond to the person, that's the end of it. But it doesn't linger in your heart after that. You don't go back home thinking and say, can you imagine Mr. Jack said that to me in the restaurant? Who does he think he is? Simply because you don't know Mr. Jack, it doesn't have as much impact on you. But the moment you know the person, the moment the person has a role in your life or, or occupies a position in your life, or is in worst, worst case scenario, the person is in your inner circle, um, maybe your closest friend, one of your closest friends, or your family, then the heart is deepest, all right, in such cases. And um, the truth is, according to what Jesus Christ said, he said, offenses will surely come. So it is not the question of whether offenses will come or not. That means whether someone will ever offend you or hurt you or not. The question now is a matter of when, but he said offenses will surely come. So as believers, we, we should prepare our hearts for hurt. And especially when the offense comes from, from, a, from a fellow believer. If it comes from an unbeliever, you can excuse the person and say, well, this person is an unbeliever. He doesn't know what he's saying. But when it now comes from a believer, a brother, let's assume both of you are in the same unit in your church, or you're in the same fellowship, or you're in the same group or something. Maybe you are both in choir and the person does something really hurtful to you. That is when the true test of forgiveness now comes in, all right? So forgiveness, I'm rather hot, is deepest when it comes from people that are closest to you, okay? Especially if you are right, meaning that you weigh the situation, even when other people hear the story, objectively, they know that you are right. 
you you would you know you would require an, an extra dose of forgiveness. You know, if you go to a pharmacy, they can tell you to take say paracetamol two in the evening, two at night. When the person hurts you and you are right, you need to take four doses of of you know forgiveness capsule. All right. So it's just something we need to be conscious of. And forgiveness is you know the Bible the Bible the Bible commands us to forgive. And it never makes mention of the other person apologizing. So the Bible says that if you have any oath against your brother, right, go and make up for the person. The Bible says forgive, right, just as Christ forgave us. But it never mentions that you should forgive after the person apologizes. And this is where this is why forgiveness is one of the expressions that kills our flesh. You know, when I say flesh, I mean the old nature, the sinful nature. Because the sinful nature always wants things, wants to be, wants to be right. It is it, it will be easier to forgive if, um, for instance, my friend offends me and the person comes to ask for forgiveness. Then I'll say, okay, okay, yes, I'll forgive. Which is a great thing. And please, by all means, if you are the person that offends someone else, please be quick to apologize, right? However, God does not say we should forgive because the person has offended us. Rather, the reason for forgiveness is. Let us read it together in scripture. So let's read Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. I will see why we'll, we'll see why we should forgive, all right? Or we'll see we'll see the, the reason for forgive for, for extending forgiveness. Colossians chapter 3, um, verse 13. Please read if you are there. We'll wrap up with this thought. Colossians um, chapter 3, verse 13. Okay, anyone there? Go ahead, please, if you are there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Make allowance for each other's fault and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Wow. First thing he says, and by the way, what translation is this, Idar? NLT. NLT. He says, make allowance for each other's fault. You know, there's something my dad used to say, and he, he taught us, right? He said, that we, you need to practice forgiveness in advance. Meaning, this person hasn't offended you. You don't even know whether that person offended you or not. But you make forgiveness available long before the offense comes. So that the day the offense comes, it becomes um, easier for you to extend forgiveness to that person. All right? So he calls it forgiveness in advance. And that's what Apostle Paul was saying here. That's make allowance for each other's faults. The fact that we are born again Christians doesn't mean we wouldn't be uh, we wouldn't have faults or we wouldn't have flaws and weaknesses. So what Paul is saying is that make allowance for the time that a person in your inner circle, a fellow believer, a friend, or somebody will offend you. Create room for you. Know, it's almost like saying you have money reserved, right, in your savings before any need arises. So that the moment the need arises, you just go to your savings, deep, 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 um, get some money, and you pay for it. The same way also have forgiveness in your savings before somebody offends you. And let, let me even help our expectation. Everybody, well, well not let me, everybody that, no, let me put it this way. As long as you have you are friends with people or you have company, which ideally should be every one of us, then sooner or later you become offended at some point. Someone will do something to offend you. Your friend will do something to offend you. A fellow Christian or a believer or someone in your fellowship will do something to offend you. So just prepare your heart already. Not because you are being suspicious, 
but just because it is inevitable in our Christian work. And that, that is the same way also you will, you will offend people as well. All right? So Paul says, um, make allowance for each other's faults and says, forgive one another if anyone has a quarrel against you. And he then says, even as Christ forgave you. He didn't say forgive this person because the person came to apologize. He didn't say forgive this person because, you know, other people have come to beg you to forgive. He didn't even say forgive this person because the offense is in the public light. Because when the offense is public, it can become a heroic act to forgive. For instance, if you are in a, in, a, in a group, in a meeting, for instance, right, and somebody slaps you and everybody turns and looks at you and they saw the person slap you, it can become a heroic thing for you to say, don't worry, I forgive you, don't worry, you know, I'm a Christian, I, I let you go. The, the reason why you do that is because other people, you want other people to look at you and say, ah, this person, he's a true Christian, calm down. Let that person slap you when it's only two of you and you forgive that person. That is a real, that will be the real proof that you have forgiven. Because it is possible, it is tempting and possible for forgiveness to become a heroic act if it is done in public. All right. No, I'm not saying it is invalid, but I'm saying the tendency for it to become heroic is there if it's in public sight. Okay. Or if, if people know the gist of no and know what the other person does, and then you say, I let me just forgive or let not be as if as if I carry something for chest. You know, now Nigerians will say it. But when when it is private and you decide to forgive, then truly your forgiveness is known. All right. So we are not waiting for the person to forgive to apologize. Neither are we waiting for people to gather and know about the offense. We forgive because, the reason is because Christ forgave us. So the basis for extending forgiveness to others is because we have received forgiveness. That is simply what it means. Let me say that again. The basis for extending forgiveness to others is because we have received forgiveness of God, not because the person deserves forgiveness. If it's judging by the person's actions, in fact, the person may still be doing the exact same thing that he did the last time that offended you. The person might not have even stopped in that habit. But the Bible says we should forgive, not because the person deserves forgiveness or because the person has apologized or because someone else has come to beg on the person's behalf. No, but simply because God has extended his forgiveness towards us. And this is what makes forgiveness a powerful experience in our faith with God. In fact, one of the quickest way we go, we grow um, spiritually is when we walk in forgiveness. Forgiveness increases our rank in the realm of the spirit because extending forgiveness replicates God's disposition towards us. So God forgave us, not because we deserve forgiveness, not because we even apologize. When Christ came to die for us, the, in fact, the people he was, that Christ was dying for were the same people that were killing him. So it was obviously not because we were qualified. Neither was it because of our actions, but because of his decision, God forgave us. And God is saying, in that same manner, the way I extended forgiveness to you without waiting for you or without waiting for, for forgiveness or without waiting for anything from your side, in that same manner, extend forgiveness right to others. And it is going to be a lot easier for us to forgive when we are conscious of the fact that we have been forgiven, all right? And that's why the Bible says that he that loves, he that um, he that has been forgiven much, loves much, right? Meaning that the person that has received, received forgiveness and is aware of how much God has forgiven that person will be able to extend that same forgiveness and love to other people, all right? 
So the main reason, which is what I want to emphasize today, the main reason why we forgive is that God has forgiven us. Yes, there are other benefits of forgiveness, but the first reason is that Christ forgave us, so we should do the same to others, all right? And if we read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, I'll just read that quickly. It says practically the same thing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Meaning that, the reason why God forgave us was because Jesus Christ had died on our behalf and he took our place. So it was obviously nothing we did on our part that, you know, gave us that for, gave us the right to be forgiven. Christ forgave, God forgave us because of what Christ did. So if we receive forgiveness freely, then freely we have received, freely we should also give, all right? So I'm I, I just going to end with this. I mean, there's still stuff I want to say here, but let me end with this, that God God expects forgiveness from us because he gave it to us freely. And it will be easier for us to extend forgiveness when we have received, when we know, we, when we are conscious that we have received it freely. All right? So last question I want to ask us before we go. What are some of the tips or one of, what are some of the ways that, um, that, what are some of the things that, no, this is a question. What are some of the ways that, some of the tips that helps you forgive others? All right? Do we get the question? So what are some of the things you do or, or some of the things you remember that makes it easy for, for you to forgive others? Or, or what are some of the things you have in your heart, okay, that makes it easy for you to forgive others? Um, I hope the question is clear enough. Okay, um, Edith, please go ahead. Spending fellowship every day with God because when I spend fellowship every day with God, I repent every day. So mm. I, I would say repentance. Repentance can help me forgive because every day I find one reason to, you know, repenting, making repentance a habit in my prayers will mm. help me in forgiving people. Making Great. repentance a habit. Okay, so um, fellowshipping with God and most specifically making repentance a habit, right? It helps you forgive. Awesome. Um, anyone else wants to share how can we make it you know easier for us to forgive or how can we how can we forgive others? Someone should help us. Someone should help us. Yep. Praise God. Hallelujah. Like we said to the from the passage that we read, like giving allowances for people and then Knowing that at the end of the day, people will definitely offend you and do things that so beforehand, knowing that it is our responsibility to forgive. And even though it's really hard, it's not easy, you can always just draw strength from the Holy Spirit to help you um, to go about it, basically. How you can just find peace in the situation get over it and then if possible be concerned <laughs> all right thank you thank you for that um um one more person one more person share with us what your i mean how what helps you forgive people easily i think for me it's just making sure that you always Keep it in mind that we are to represent Christ 
and just have that Christ, like, you know, like people are watching. Um, yes, we also mentioned, like, even our personal life. For me, normally when I'm offended and <laughs> I finish ranting <laughs> as much as I can to, like, focus to just say, if not for God, it's not easy. I mean, but then we always have to put into that consciousness that Christ that God has, like, God has extended this love, forgiveness to us. So we can as well do the same. We don't deserve it. So we can as well just, you know, um, forgive others too and let go of any hurt. Okay, awesome, awesome. Thank you very much for that. Um, just one thing I want to say again is that forgiveness is first and foremost for us. So we are the first beneficiaries of, <clears throat> of forgiveness. All right, so when we forgive people, we like it is because of us, not necessarily because of the other person. Because if you don't forgive, the, the penalty for not forgiving is borne by you, not the other person. All right, so yeah, forgiveness is first for us. Um, Bola Tito, your hands are up. Your hand is up, sorry. Yeah, good evening. I have a question. Okay. Okay, so um, I want to really understand because I've had issues with forgiving others or just listening to everyone's um, testimony, I realized that, okay, maybe I've, I've been thinking I've been forgiving people and I'm not, I'm not really forgiving them. I'm, I'm really unclear about something. So someone offends you and you maybe have a conversation about it and, but then you decide, just make a personal decision that, see, I don't want to really maybe go close to this person anymore and just maybe like not really cut off the relationship or you know just keep your distance from that person so does that also count as forgiveness fine you're not um holding any grudge against the person but you just decide to distance yourself from the person like okay going forward let me just maintain my lane also count yes that counts forgiving person but just all right, yes, that counts as forgiveness, right? And let me explain why. Because forgiveness doesn't mean you should maintain the company of the person that has offended you, one. Um, neither does forgiveness mean you should go back to the same place where you were hurt. I don't think that would be foolishness because you just keep, you keep setting up yourself to be offended. So forgiveness, forgiveness doesn't mean you must go back or maintain that relationship or, or be, be as close to the person as you've always been. No, that's not what forgiveness necessarily means. Forgiveness means that the offense in your heart, right, that the person committed, you have let go of it. And, and, that, and that's why, you know, I cannot tell you, I cannot tell when you have forgiven. Really, it is you and God that knows when you are forgiven. In fact, sometimes you don't even know until God reveals to you. So forgiveness is principally the state of heart where the offense, you have let it go. You have forgiven. You have, you have, it's almost like saying someone owed you money, but you have let the person go with that money. Do you get? So someone has done something to you that you need to revenge and pay back, but you said, okay, I'm, I'm no longer holding this against the person. And then, you know, I let it, I, you let it go. So you don't have to go back to the same relationship, right? Um, because that, that's very tricky. It could, it could spiral down into abuse, but forgiveness says, okay, I've let you go. I can love you from afar. I like what Ada type put in the group in the comments. I can love you from afar. I mean you well. I will never wake up 
wishing you were, you were dead or hurting you, but I have, but I wouldn't be in this in close proximity with you, right? Does that make sense? Well, that's still... Yes, it does. And well, I, well, I, I feel in addition to that, I agree with that um, answer. And in addition to that, there are some people that you cannot love from afar, anyways, in-laws, family <laughs> that have offended you. Somehow, somehow, that kind of relationship, you, I guess there are some places you have to send boundaries around yourself. Because oh, yes. I've had people that have offended me, close family, in-laws that have offended me, so bad, bad. Uh, the time I knew that I was really hurt was when I was actually hating them. Like, I hate you, but I had to really stop myself at that point. So, in as much as, okay, there are some people, maybe friends, acquaintances, you can love from afar and for extended family members, you can set a boundary around yourself. Okay. When you cross this line, I will just maybe raise an, sound a bell or something and please, you're crossing a line here. So I, it's very, very apt. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank God. Um, Toby Loba, your hand is up. So, Blasto, please, your hand is still up. You can drop it. Um, Edith, yeah, I... Your, sorry, before I continue, um, Toby, Edith, your hand is up. If you have a question, you can keep it up. If not, just help us drop it down. So I know those that are asking. All right, Toby, please go ahead. Okay, yes, I also just wanted to respond to her question with respect to, oh, can you... Um, forgive and then put people at bay just like you have said I mean you can set boundaries and you know I had to go to Abraham and Abraham and Lot's story again and you know after in Genesis 13 after you know they had the old who, who owns the most of the you know headsmen and the you know animals and all of that Abraham said so Abraham said to Lord please let there be no strife and disagreement between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen because we are relatives it's not the entire land before you separate from me if you take the left then I will take the right and you know as I, I just observed that as that conversation happened in verse 14 God didn't even go back to it he actually came and said the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had left him now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are standing northward and southward and eastward and you know and he kept on telling him what he would do so really it's it's important that boundaries will be set from the from the moment you realize that okay i don't mean you harm you know check your heart as well and the other part of this is the test of this love will come i was going to say this as well because it actually came to a point where you know lot was in trouble and Abraham's faith had to be tested. You know, his love work had to be tested at yeah, that yeah. point. So yeah. it will get to that point. So you say you've, you've forgiven, but no problem. You've set boundaries, no problem. But just bear in mind, just know that there will be a date where that love work will be tested. And so that's when you actually know whether you've actually forgiven or, you know, there's still some little tiny bit of hurt lying somewhere and you've not dealt with it. So the love work will be tested. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, um, Toby Lover. Thank you. Um, Odwayo, your hand is up. Please go ahead. Yes. Um, just to follow up on what Toby Lover said or like ask a question. So when I say I've forgiven someone, uh, is it okay to still remember what they've done? And what she just said is, so if you still remember and you see them and you still feel that rage, does that mean you have not totally forgiven them? I just want to clarify. Okay, good. So let me let me break down the answer. First of all, um, I mean, we have memory, so it might not be very practical to say you've forgotten what someone has done to you, right? 
Um, however, the second part, which, which you just um, asked is, if when you remember what the person has done and you still feel that rage, that means you probably have not fully forgiven that person. Because if you fully forgiven that person, you should no longer feel that rage and animosity towards the person, right? Of course, by any standard, if you remember what the person has done, it, it wouldn't be a good thing, right? But if the feeling of rage is still in your heart, I mean, your heart still feels that, feels that hurt, then it, there's a high chance you haven't forgiven that person. You know, I remember, let me just share my one experience I had quickly. Um, some years ago, this was 2014, I was, I, was staying, I was staying with someone in an apartment and then there was this particular person that really, really hurt me. And the reason why this person, why this hurt was so deep was because I opened up my, my, my arms to that person. You know, a lot was going in person's life and I said, okay, let me try and be a good brother to that person at this point in time. And the person really, really said, said some hurtful things that till today, and I keep, I, keep, I keep telling my wife that till today, nobody has hurt me that deep, all right, because of what the person said. And it got to a point where, just like Bola still shared, where it was like, so I will unconsciously catch myself thinking of something bad that happened to that person. And that's when I knew that I needed the help of God. So I had to pray, and it took a couple of days and weeks for, for the hurt to completely go. Right, I still remember what the person did, but I don't feel hurt again. If I see the person today, I, I probably would hug the person and would just and laugh about it. So forgiveness, right, should imply that you no longer feel hurt about the person and if or about the incidents or rage about what happened. If you still feel rage in your heart, then please go back to God and tell, be very plain with God and say, God, I am still angry with this person. Help me, and then God will work on that. Um, I hope that helps. Okay. Um, Ayo, is that is that okay? Is that, um, does that answer your question? Yes, 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 sir. Yes, yes, it does. All right. All right. So we are going to end now. Whoa, it's it's eight thirty here. Um, so we're going to end now. I mean, I was I was typically would ask us what we've learned today, but I think we have made so much contribution already. So please, I encourage you, right? Um, See, walking in love is super important. I couldn't go into some things today, but if you read the scripture in the book of Matthew, you see that God values your values peace with your brother over your sacrifice to him. So Jesus said, if you are making sacrifice, you are going to give a gift at the altar. You remember that you have, an, you have a rift with your brother. Leave that sacrifice. Go and settle it first before you come and make the sacrifice. So our sacrifices, our expressions of love, our kingdom giving, all of that, is not as valuable as being at peace with one another. That is why the Bible says how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. All right, so that that um, that peace, right, where there's where there's no there's no conflict and there's um, forgiveness, is super important in God's sight. So please, I encourage you. And um, people offend you. I'm not, I'm not even saying they will offend you. They will offend you truly. And it is not. It might be very. Every layer of offense will test. Your, the depth of forgiveness in your heart. But at every point in time, reach out to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, help me, help me. God, God, God will dispense enough grace in your heart for you to show forgiveness towards others, right? If Jesus Christ on the cross could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing, the same people that nailed him, then there's a dimension of forgiveness that we all can walk in, right? So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
We thank you for your love that is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that by ourselves we can do nothing, but with you we can do all things. That when it seems impossible to forgive, you know, um, when, when Peter asked you, Jesus says, how many times will I forgive my brother? And you said 70 times, 70 times. And Peter was like, how, how then are we going to make heaven? And you responded to him and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. Father, we've come to acknowledge that the commandment to love is impossible with us. However, it is possible with you. So we draw from your possibility. We draw from your grace. And we ask that you continue to help us walk in love, walk in forgiveness, walk in kindness, that we will truly represent you on earth through our expression of love in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that if there's any one of us right now that is um, um, that, that, is, that needs to forgive someone in, in any area, that probably struggling with forgiveness. Holy Spirit, please help the person. D give the person grace to forgive. Let the revelation of how much you're forgiving us flood our hearts so that we can extend that forgiveness to others in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. All right, amen. We're going to go right now. I just want to make one quick announcement. Please, in case you are not aware, we're having our first physical meeting in Lagos on Saturday. Uh, this is where the drum rolls, all right? So we're having our first physical meeting on, in Lagos on Saturday. Please, um, if you have not, if you have not, what's the word? If you have not registered, please do so. Um, let me drop the registration link. Okay, Ayo, your hand is up. You want to add something? Um, for those for, the, uh, for those of us who are not in Nigeria and uh, Nigerian who like to come, are there any provisions for tickets and flight? Like, you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even say for streaming, you went straight to tickets. Anyway, we're getting <laughs> to that point. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, so we're, we're making, we're making, we're, we're considering streaming it, just one or two logistics we need to, to figure out. Um, but yeah, it should be streamed or at least made available after that. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get the link for us to register. This is the link. Please copy the link right away from the, from the um, chat and register. The reason why I, want us, why, why I want you to please register is because it will help us make adequate provisions for, for, for us. Okay, so if we'll, need, if, we're going, if we'll need a larger space or a smaller space, you know, to help with that and also make provisions for everyone. So please register. It's on Saturday and invite someone. Please don't come alone. It's going to be an amazing time. Saturday, 12 noon. The venue is um, Lekki, um, second roundabout. The details is, so let me see if I can drop the details here. Um, I want to drop the details right away so we all can see it. All right, so I'm dropping the details. All. Just hold on. Okay, yeah, so that's it. You should sit in the comments session. So that's the flyer for this to go. The information is there. Um, if you have anything, you know, questions or anything about the events, you can reach out to us in the WhatsApp group and we'll answer it. Okay, thank you. So Faith just put the, the address, All right? Okay, so thank you very much. We'll see you next week, um, same time, same link. Oh, last thing, please, if today's your first time joining us, Please just um, introduce yourself and tell us who invited you and where you're joining us from. If today is your first time joining us for Bible study, please just tell us who you are and where you're joining us from and who invited you. Anyone like that? Anyone, anyone first time? 
Anyone? Hello, good evening. Can you hear me clearly? This is Dara. Okay, hi Dara. Yeah, sorry, I'm uh, in a public space. Oh, that's uh, fine. So, yeah, this is my first time here. I was invited by Faith. I uh, listened to all what you had to say, and I, I must say that I, I indeed learned a few things. And uh, I look forward to having more sessions with uh, you guys. Yay, thank you so much, Dara. Where are you joining us from? Uh, Lagos. Lagos, all right, all right. Thank you so much, Dara, for joining us. All right, so- Thank you um, for having me. You're welcome. So that's a wrap for today. We'll see you next week, same time and same link. Um, God bless you. Have a good day, good night, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Bye. Love you. Love you too, everyone. Bye.